0: All right, good morning, guys. Oh, Ian, do we have an iPad? (laughs) Uh, Go to the next slide first, sorry. Oh, dude, Ian's like going back and forth. Just making Ian run. Um, (laughs) Wait, 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 come on back. No, I'm kidding. So we have our conference week coming up. um, Here, starting August 15th. So put these on your calendar. Um, There'll be more information coming out in emails um, to put on your calendar, but make sure that you get these on your calendar. Remember, conference weeks, uh, these are times for us to grow. Uh, these are times of kind of intensity where we take a week and we really focus on our spiritual growth. Um, so it's a little more intense than our normal church calendar. We just have a lot of stuff happening. So uh, starting 8 15, that Sunday, we'll have Chuck Beckler come and speak. Um, he's going to be preaching on love, kind of what we've been talking about. He, he does a, a really good teaching on you'll do anything for the one that you love the most, and he's going to focus on that aspect of loving God the most. So uh, Chuck's preaching on the 15th, and then that Wednesday, we're doing Worship Well here at church, um, and that theme is going to be on soul care. So Worship Well is a time for us to reorient our whole life to God, and to focus on all the different aspects of who we are, as we've been talking about in this campaign. Uh, in this Worship Well, we're going to talk about how to worship God and love God with more of our soul and how we can care for our soul in that way. And then the next day, on Thursday night on YouTube, I have already pre-recorded this interview with Sharon Hottie Miller. Um, she wrote a book called Free of Me, and um, I recorded an interview with her about how she grew a ton when she kind of stopped focusing on the self-help aspect of things and turned her eyes to God. Uh, so she has a fantastic story on that and a uh, really good interview there. And then that uh, Sunday, John Ren- uh, my friend, Reverend John Reynolds, he's coming to speak. And John is going to be speaking on the sufficiency of Scripture for our spiritual formation. And then the following week, we have an Enneagram course that um, John will be running here at church, um, Leslie, are you running that with him? no okay all right um, <laughs> john 's got it sorry to put you on the spot, Leslie, I know how you love that. Um, Enneagram course on the twenty fourth through the twenty sixth so um, if you whether you 've done the Enneagram course or you haven 't yet i 'd encourage you to come to this so if you 've already done it we 'll kind of unpack a little bit more about what that means about what your personality is all about. The Enneagram is a personality assessment that is really helpful for us to understand who we are so that we can then worship God better and love others better uh, out of an understanding of who we truly are. So that that's what's happening. So put those things on your calendar. I encourage you guys to take part in these with us and to grow through this week together. Let's pray, and then we will jump into the sermon for today. Father, Lord, we come before you and we just ask you Lord, for your Holy Spirit's guidance, that you would speak to our hearts, that Lord, you would show us more of who you are, help us to love you more with all of our being, and Lord, help us to love one another as you have called us to. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, so last week, we started, well, two weeks ago, we started on the topic of loving our neighbor. Uh, Remember, our campaign is called The Fully Formed Life, where we're talking about spiritual formation, which is kind of a big, clunky word that seems a little scary. What we really mean is just growing in love for God and love for others, okay? Very simple in concept, but impossible in practice. So we will constantly be growing in love for God and in love for others, And we've primarily taken the text where Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? And he tells them it is to love, he quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, where he says it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So at the beginning of this campaign, we talked about how to love God with more of our entire being, heart, soul, mind, strength. What does that mean? How do we love God out of everything that we are? And now we've moved on to discussing how do we love our neighbor as ourself? And last week, we went to the parable of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to the question of who is my neighbor? And then Jesus launches into this parable of the Good Samaritan. And basically, the conclusion is uh, everybody who's in need. So even your sociopolitical enemies and people you view as religious heretics. So we should love and care for everybody. So when Jesus points to this command to love your neighbor as yourself, last week we talked about that means the world. That means people outside of the church, too. How do we love them and not engage with the world out of a posture of war, but out of a posture of love? Now, implicit in that question of who is my neighbor is they already viewed their fellow Israelites and uh, their family as their neighbors. So Jesus expands that definition, but he doesn't preclude or eliminate your family and fellow Israelites in that sense. So we're gonna talk about this from three different categories of people. We talked about it from the world last week. This week, we're talking about loving our neighbor as ourselves through the lens of the church. That would be synonymous with the people of Israel as they had already assumed in Jesus' day. And then next week, we'll talk about it in the home, which when we hear this word, love your neighbor as yourself, I think we tend to forget that, oh, that means people within my home and my immediate sphere of influence as well. So we're gonna talk about all three of those Groups. So, today, we're on to talking about the church. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves within the church? Jesus says it like this in John 13. This is in his farewell discourse. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Then he says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One another. So at first we should see, like, hey, this isn't really a new command, so how is this new? This is new in the sense that Jesus is basing this love that we're supposed to have for one another on himself. So here he says, as I have loved you. This becomes the paradigm, how Jesus loves his disciples becomes the paradigm for how we in the church are to love one another. And it's a radically different love that Jesus demonstrates. But just to quickly emphasize how important it is that we love one another, Jesus mentions this a number of times. He says in, in this, the farewell discourse, the last supper that he has with his disciples, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He says it time and time again in this conversation with them. This is my command, love each other. It's almost as if Jesus is kind of, (laughs) he's like getting frustrated at this time. He's like, guys, don't miss this, okay? As he says in a couple of verses prior, right, where I mentioned that, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, is how you love each other. So for this movement to be effective, for this movement to work, what Jesus is saying is, hey, this has to be central, is you must love each other. It isn't by your intelligence, your, your ability to debate, your rhetoric, and how, in, how you can win arguments. That's not what the church is to be known for. Church is to be known for how we love each other. And Jesus makes that very, very clear. So, we are to love one another. And as I said previously, he bases it on, as I have loved you, it is new in the sense of, it's based on Christ and how he has loved the disciples. So for just a few moments, I've been, I've been captivated by this this week, of like, how did Jesus love the disciples? What does it look like that Jesus loved the disciples? Okay, this is way too big of a topic to cover. The whole Gospels is about how Jesus loved the disciples. The whole New Testament is about how we ought to love one another as a church. It's a predominant theme through the whole thing, okay? So it's really tough. So I'm going to paint broad brush, big picture here, all right? But this is kind of what this campaign is all about, is big picture, what are we after here with church? Spiritual formation, what does this mean? We're trying to love one another the way Christ calls us to. So when we look at how Jesus loved the disciples, we're just gonna look at it quickly through the lens of how he loved Peter, okay? And focus on a few specific events through the life of Peter, of Jesus and his interactions with Peter that indicate just how much Jesus loved him. And that we can then see what this love that we're supposed to have for one another looks like. All right? So, first, Jesus calls Peter. I'm just going to reference these stories in brief, okay? We'll go through them in more detail in the devotional. In Matthew 4 18 through 20, Jesus calls Peter, he calls him to come and follow me. In Luke's account, he describes how he Jesus, after teaching, pushes out into the boat with Peter and he teaches out on Peter's boat and then he says, let's go fishing, Peter, essentially. And Peter's like, I've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. Goes out with Jesus, massive catch of fish. And then Jesus tells him, come and follow me. And Peter drops everything to come and follow him. In John's gospel, he describes this moment where Jesus meets Peter, okay? Peter's brother, Andrew. He he meets Jesus. He comes to Peter and he says, "Hey Peter, I found the Messiah. I have found the Christ. Come and meet him." So Peter does, and he's sitting and he listened to Jesus teach. And uh, Jesus, as he's talking, he looks at Peter and he says, "You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas." He changes his name. He knows him very personally before they've even really had an opportunity to meet. And this is the theme of this section of John because in the next section, it goes through Jesus and his interactions with Nathanael, right? And he knows Nathanael before he even meets him and Nathanael is amazed by that. So what we see is how Jesus loves Peter is he calls him, he calls him to mission. He knows him and he chose him and he gave him purpose and he gave him meaning. We'll apply all of this later. And then next Jesus rebukes Peter, okay? So as we've seen and already said in this campaign, loving one another doesn't eliminate the need for us to correct each other. It doesn't say that there is no truth. This isn't our cultural definition of tolerance, okay? There is still truth. There is morality that we should be calling each other towards. But in Jesus' life with Peter, we see him rebuking Peter often, but in two uh, specific instances, okay? Okay? One is where Jesus is walking out on water. He walks out on the water to the disciples who are out on the boat, and he walks out to them and and they're all freaked out. They're like, this is a ghost, right? There's (laughs) we don't know who this is. And then he says it's Jesus. So Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out to you. And he does. And he starts walking on the water. And then Peter, he he begins to sink. And Jesus, in such loving way, he just like this is. This is like Jesus kind of rebuking, correcting how he would rebuke a child. It's unbelievable how kind, how sweet, how loving it truly is when he says this. He reached out his hand and he caught him as Peter is thinking. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You just hear the love coming out of Jesus, even as he's rebuking him. Which for me, my <laughs> in my sinful nature... At this point in the story, which this is in Matthew 14, so he's seen a lot of stuff at this point. Jesus has already calmed the sea. Peter's already seen that. At what point did Jesus want to be like, dude, what's the matter with you? You've already watched me calm the sea. You've watched me do these amazing miracles. I've raised dead people. At what point are you going to get it, man? Come on. What's your deal, bro? That's how I would respond But Jesus is so kind, he's so loving, and patient with him, even in his rebuke. Then again, in Matthew 16, Jesus Jesus tells him that he's going to the cross, and Peter's response is, "Is never, Lord, never will this happen to you. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Concerns. Now, I think about if somebody were to say that to us today, and even back then, it probably wasn't much different. If this were a movie, Peter's response would be something like, Oh, I don't need this. Jesus, I have given up three years of my life to follow you. I left my fishing business. I left my dad in the boat to come hang out with you. I have left everything for you and this is how you treat me? I don't need this anymore. I'm out of here, man. And then Peter would go home, and then he'd go out on his fishing boat, and three days later, he'd be crying, like, oh, that was wrong, and recognize it, and it might be too late, it might not. I don't know. You know how that movie plays out in today's story. But Peter doesn't. We have no record of him saying this. In fact, in the next scene, he, he goes up on the mountain with Jesus, and he sees Jesus transfigured before him. So in the previous scene, he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. So it's this up and down, this success, Peter, win, beautiful moment of confessing Jesus, of seeing who Jesus truly is in the transfiguration, and then Peter, you're Satan. And he like keeps, <laughs> and he stays with him. Jesus rebukes him, and Peter still follows him and stays in it with him. Next, and this is the ultimate, is Jesus dies for Peter, right? This is the ultimate example of love. Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's exactly what he does, right? Jesus goes to the cross for Peter, for the disciples. So when we're exploring how did Jesus love them, and when Jesus told them at the farewell discourse, love one another as I have loved you, can you imagine, this was the night before Jesus was killed, can you imagine being Peter, James, John, the other disciples, and hearing Jesus say, love one another as I have loved you. And they're thinking back on their last three years with him, like, oh yeah, he was a good teacher. He provided for us. We followed him everywhere. He's really smart. Uh, we learned a lot from him. He's a good guy. That's how, what he means to love us. And then Jesus goes to the cross, dies, rises from the dead as they're thinking about this before they write it down. They're like, oh. <laughs> That's what he meant. He didn't just mean like provide Food, when we're hungry, didn't just mean just be a good teacher and rebuke in a loving way. He he meant die for each other. Whoa. Their whole concept of what it meant to love one another was completely changed by what Jesus did on the cross for them. And it's evident throughout all of the New Testament that this, Jesus' death on the cross, was supposed to be the paradigm for how we love one another. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to them, telling them to humble each other, humble themselves, and to have the mind of Christ. Christ who humbled himself and not only came and was born and made man, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he died on the cross as well for us. He went further and further, humbling himself more and more to sacrifice and give for us. So Jesus' death on the cross is to be the paradigm for how we love one another. Band, you guys can come up and get set up. And then finally, Jesus forgives and reconciles with Peter. If you remember, before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, there's no way I'll do that. I'll die before (laughs) I do that. And then, of course, he does. And I think it's Luke's gospel that mentions that after Peter had denied him three times and as the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him. Jesus knew that he had denied him, that he had betrayed him in his hour of need, even as Jesus is being beaten and about to be crucified. It's bad enough to deny someone and to reject them and to betray them as your friend without them knowing it. And you know it. And that tears you up inside. Imagine how tore up Peter was when Jesus looked at him and he knew he failed. Jesus had warned him. He told him he was going to do it and he still was a coward and he failed him. And he had to live with that for the next few days until Jesus rose from the dead. And while Jesus before he ascended into heaven after he rose from the dead, John 21 accounts, documents this beautiful scene where they're walking on the beach after Peter was out fishing, and Jesus shows up and calls him. Peter jumps in the water and swims to him. But imagine Peter's thought process at this time, like, how, how mad is he? <laughs> you've had this, right, where you're in trouble, you've broken the rules, whatever, and you're you're standing in front of someone, you're like, how they're gonna react? <laughs> how mad are they? Are they still mad at me? Am I out? Peter's thinking, am I off the team? Is Jesus gonna say you're disqualified? You're done, get away from me. Dude, I told you. Like, you walked on water, you failed. Peter, eight strikes is enough, man. You're off, right? But Jesus doesn't. His whole <laughs> in this beautiful moment with him, he walks with him. And he asked him three times to counter the three times that he denied him. He asked him three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know I do. And each time Jesus tells him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He's reconciling with him and recommissioning him to say, go. like You're still a part of my movement. I still want you as a part of the disciples. Even though he totally betrayed him, he totally failed. Jesus forgives and Jesus reconciles with Peter. Let's pray and I'll come up and close it out later. Lord, Jesus, as we look at how you love the disciples, Lord, we are just blown away with your goodness, with your love that is so just beyond our capability. Lord, first and foremost, help us to just be blown away with how you love us. To just sit in that, to rest, and Lord, know that your love for us is just amazing. And Lord, as you call us to, help us to love one another with that same kind of love. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing praises to the one who loves us so much. so good, you are worthy of praise, you are worthy of all glory and honor. So Lord, as we sing praises to you, may you be glorified and honored, not just in the words that we say, but in the conditions of our heart. Now, Lord, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as you said, so Lord, we want our heart to be full of you, our hearts to be full of praise, of humility, compassion, fill us with your spirit we pray it's in your name we pray amen you guys can have a seat all right so remember we're talking about how we love one another in this community of jesus followers and jesus based jesus told them he said you have to love one another as i have loved you So remember, we spent a few moments just looking at how Jesus loved the disciples. And I encourage you to read through the Gospels, wherever you're reading. As you read through them, just make mental notes of that, of how Jesus loved them. And that's how we're supposed to love each other. Because it's the whole thing. (laughs) It's the whole thing. It's all about this. So we saw, through Jesus' interactions with Peter that he chose Peter, he committed to Peter. As I've been studying for this, I've been wondering like why, at what point did Jesus wanna just say like, you know what, I'm gonna get 12 new dudes. You guys aren't cutting it anymore. (laughs) You're not smart enough, you're not good enough at this whole community thing. James and John, you send your mom to talk to me about like, which one's the greatest, we wanna be the best. You guys are missing the whole picture here. And early on, Jesus just chose them. he said, you guys, follow me. Let's go. And even later in his ministry, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And and he chose them. He committed to them. And in the process of doing life and ministry with them, he made them into the type of people who could lead a church. They weren't the type of people who could lead a church when he met him, but he made them into those types of people. So that's supposed to be a model, a little glimpse of what church is supposed to look like, how we choose and we commit to one another. Now I know we should choose a church based on doctrine, based on things that we think it true, are true and right. And I agree with all of that, right? I think those are really important decisions, but when we do choose a church that this is where we want to commit to, we commit. These are our people now. We can't approach church with what's, Sky came and spoke on this a few years back, what's called the consumeristic model. Sky Gitani talks about this a lot. We can't approach church with this model of, what is the church going to give for me? And when we walk in the doors, just think, what can I consume? We approach church in the community here, oftentimes like we approach walmart or whatever other environment we find ourselves in as a consumer what can this provide me and then when it stops providing that for you you bail and you go buy from a different company right or you just do something else in the church world you just leave and go start over at another church that is not the community model that jesus demonstrated After how many of the disciples' failures could Jesus just said, you know what, I'm out. He didn't. He committed to them and he formed them into the type of people who could lead this church. I forget who said it. Someone said there's no perfect church for you just as there's no perfect church. (laughs) If there were, it would be flawed the moment you and I walked into it. (laughs) I think it was Scott McKnight who said that. Remember, earlier in this campaign, I challenged us to think of church as a school of love. And if we think of church as a school of love, this consumeristic model won't do. Think of it and compare it into a married relationship. If once it gets hard, we bail, how do we grow in love? We don't. It's the same with church. Last year was really hard. (laughs) If you approach church with a consumeristic model, you're likely not here. (laughs) So I'm preaching to the crowd in a lot of ways. So on that note, thank you guys for your faithfulness, for your commitment to the community here, even when it was hard. in his community of 12, they really knew one another pretty well. <laughs> Imagine trying to keep secrets from Jesus in the community of 12. What's the point? <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. He knows. In John 21, when Jesus is asking Peter three times, do you love me? Peter even confesses to him. and says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus already knew what He was doing is bringing it out of Peter. This community of Jesus followers is supposed to be a community where we know each other. And again, this doesn't fit with that consumeristic model if we just come and come and go, and we don't really engage and invest and want to be known. Okay, this goes two ways. This goes first of all, you have to be open and be present with others. You don't know people if you're not with them. We have to be present. We have to be here. We have to be with one another. Not just on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are a huge part of it. They're really important for our formation. This is the time when we're all here and we gather together. We get to see each other and it's beautiful. It's awesome. But outside of this too, we have to be present with each other to really know one another. And you have to be open and vulnerable. And I understand it's so hard to do. It's hard to find trustworthy people who you can be open and real with. But as we're going to see as I keep going through this list, this Jesus community idea is incredibly idealistic. It is not based on, it's not like our system of government that says what's the least bad. Okay, this, this church system, it's very idealistic. It is formed around the idea that says you need to be these type of people And so we need to be the type of people who can be real, who can be open, who can be honest with each other. And I know so many of us have been hurt before that when we are open, someone betrays our trust. Guess Jesus knows what that's like. Peter betrayed his trust. And then secondly, you have to want to know people. (laughs) That's the other part of it. We have to want to be known and we have to want to know. That means listening. It means asking somebody a question and taking a lot of time to listen, even when we disagree. Because that's how we know one another, is when we sit and listen to each other. Next, this one's the most important. I want to spend the most time here, but I don't know if I'm gonna have time. Abide in Christ with one another. Everything in this, type, this church community centers around Jesus, these other things, like we can get in other communities, right? and other groups and other friendships and relationships. This we only get here at church. We abide in Christ. It is all about Christ. Remember Jesus called Peter and said, come follow me. He didn't say, come listen to this new idea that I have. Come follow this new religion, this new system that I'm I'm starting. He didn't say that. He said, come follow me. It is all about Jesus when you read the Gospels. He is the guy who said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He is the guy who said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was either the greatest narcissist in the history of the world or he's the Lord. There's no other option with him. It is all about him. So this church community that we are that we are working towards here and a part of... Jesus, It's all about Jesus. It's all about his mission. It's all about knowing him more together. And if this is the foundation of our church community, the rest of this stuff, I think, will fall into place. If we are centered on Jesus. And as you read, guys, I can tell you, this, this point is what has sustained me for the last, however long, I, since I've known Jesus and committed to him. When things get tough, knowing that you can abide in Christ, that He calls us to abide in Him, and that He is with us and He will never leave us or forsake us, that's enough. That's enough. He is so awesome. He is so wonderful. So this must be our central driving aim: is Jesus. It's about Him. Next, we have to be able to call one another to holiness. Again, going back to one and three, if this is what we're here for, spiritual formation, here as a church should be the place where we can rebuke one another, call one another to holiness through the word of scripture and call each other to greater faithfulness to Jesus. Again, if we're viewing church with a consumeristic mindset, this is not how we will approach church. As soon as someone calls us on something, we'll bail because it's hard. Nobody likes to hear this stuff. You think Peter liked being told by Jesus, get behind me, Satan? I'm out, man. (laughs) But he stuck it out. And he would have never had the fruit of that moment with Jesus walking on the beach after his resurrection if he would have left. For Jesus to call that love out of him and tell him that he forgives him. And he reinstated him. The next we give of ourselves for one another. Modeled by the cross. The cross is to be central to us. Jesus gave up his life for one another. Being a part of a Christian, for the church, being a part of of a Christian community is going to require a lot of sacrifice. And that's only right. Because we follow the one who gave up his life for us. a lot of us have this mindset. I think about it in the context of marriage. I once heard at a marriage conference someone told a joke. It said, wife told her husband, you keep saying you're going to die for me, but you never do." <laughs> I feel like that's how we tend to approach relationships with one another in church and in the home and everywhere. It's like, we're, we're good with the big things. We know how to, we're committed to dying for one another, but we don't know how to live for one another. It's really, really hard to live for one another and just help somebody move, <laughs> to give up your time on a Saturday. It's really hard to live for one another, to make meals for somebody, to give someone a ride to visit somebody who's ill, to pray. <laughs> give up our time to pray for each other. Give up our time to meet together corporately when we could be doing other stuff on a beautiful Sunday morning. Give up our time for small groups. It's really hard. <laughs> it requires a lot of sacrifice. But this is how we live for one another, As we give for each other. again. I've talked to like three or four people this week who have told me how how blessed they are by you by others in the church who came around them and supported them and have helped them through very difficult times over the last year. So in a lot of ways church we're doing this well. And if you don't know of a lot of the stuff that's happening during the week, sign up for that impact profile on our website and participate It is such a wonderful thing when the church comes together and loves one another. Then finally, we forgive and we reconcile with one another. (laughs) Peter even asked Jesus at one point, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? (laughs) Jesus tells him now, 70 times seven. (laughs) Endless is what he means. Keep forgiving somebody. Now I get it, this always, this always goes to the conversation of boundaries, when are boundaries important? And I know that they are, but again, remember, we're talking healthy boundaries for somebody who's toxic relationship, abusive relationships, those are, those are very important, I get it. But we're talking about an idealistic community here that Jesus meant to create. This community of people who are being formed by him, so I'm assuming goodwill on both parts in this. This church is what is one of the most countercultural, revolutionary ideas. Because again, when somebody offends us, every other group, every other community says, "Like, get back at them, stand up for yourself, prove you're right." But in the Jesus community, we're supposed to forgive and reconcile as best we can, to the best of our ability. And that's not always possible. I know that. But this is what we should strive for. Because again, we serve the Messiah who died for us and who forgave and reconciled us to God. So we must strive to do this with one another, even when it's hard. Looking at this list, this is such a beautiful picture of the church. (laughs) Nowhere else will you find this. This is where the church has such an opportunity in our culture today. To be this type of community. And this is the type of community that we're striving to be. As our values out there on the wall reflect. We live in a culture that is lonely and isolated and starving for this type of community. Many of them have had it before and felt burned by it. This is why Jesus said this is the world, how the world will know that you are my disciples is how you love one another. We can't screw this up, you guys. This is suppo- supposed to be central to our community. We can't allow our church community to look less loving than the world around us. Because let's be honest, in your heart, you want this. Right? Everybody does. You want this type of community. But it's really, really hard to do. <laughs> it's gonna re- require a lot of commitment on your part. It's gonna require a lot of that last one: forgiveness and reconciliation. <laughs> it's gonna require a lot of you. <laughs> we all want the type of this type of community without the hard work it doesn't. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. So as a church, this is what we're striving for. It's only, and why we're doing this campaign the way that we are, is it is only when we become spiritually formed people that we can engage in a community like this. giving of yourself for one another, forgiving and reconciling, that comes out of the depths of your heart. And if you are not the type of person who can do those things, you won't. So we must become the type of people who can engage in a community like this. Let's pray for just a moment. First of all, just reflect on how Jesus loved the disciples. how he loves you. pick one pick one that you feel like you've been doing pretty well in lately (laughs) and thank God for his grace and how he has equipped you and how he has formed you into the type of person who can do that that you're not doing so great at. (laughs) And pray for God's grace to empower you.
1: sing one last song together but before we do i'm going to ask uh, john to come back up here with his wife savannah um jim and t are going to come up as well uh, when we planted our church it was about seven years ago and we said at that time that um after seven years each of us as pastors myself and uh, john we're going to take a, a sabbatical and theirs starts um in about six minutes here, as soon as the service is over, actually. They will be gone. Um, We won't see them again until after Labor Day weekend, and uh, we're so thankful for them. If everyone with me would just extend your hands towards them if you're comfortable doing that. Jim and Tia are going to pray for them now.
2: Lord, we are so blessed to have great leaders. Uh, You've put us together in this community, and it's hard sometimes, and it's messy sometimes. And uh, these guys get kind of beat up, and I know that you're with them through that, and you know that that's just a way you're trying to grow them, and we've been blessed by that. And I just pray, Lord, that as this time comes for them as a family, that they would be able to be refreshed and to step back and to focus just on you and focus on where you're taking them and how you're trying to lead and guide them. May they feel honored to have this time as a sense of thanks from the church for serving us and taking care of us and leading us through the great and through the not so great. And may they grow in their love for each other, in the family, and in their love for you. Help us to step up while they're away and to do our parts to support them to pray for them to encourage them and just let them up to you lord we're thankful for who they are and who you've made them to be and that we get to be on that journey with them
3: dear heavenly father we thank you for these seven years that you have um, led john and savannah um, to to get other people to know you to get your word out to get your love out Lord, I just thank you for the hard work that they have put in, and Lord, you teach us in the Bible that we need rest, and you made a day of rest, and you went out in the wilderness to be with the Father, and I just pray, Lord, during this time that you will give John and Savannah rest, refresh them, build them up, give them wonderful time with you, Lord, where you can speak to their hearts, to their minds, and uh, to their bodies Lord just strengthen them help them to have time as a family together Lord I pray that when they come back that they will come back with renewed passion renewed energy and we know where their heart is Lord and we know it's always been there and we just thank you for that and we just pray for them as they step out here
1: stand and sing together.